Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. If you're an adult age 21 and older and use nicotine or tobacco, I want to tell you about Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. What are they made of? Cured edible green leaves, food-grade ingredients, and pharmaceutical-grade nicotine. No tobacco leaf or stem. So if you're 21 and older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd. Head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online and they ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. What's up, everybody? Three and Out Podcast with your boy John Middlecoff on the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Live. Actually, I'm recording this, but as I'm speaking, I'm doing it live. Uh, a lot going on around the league. The owners' meetings. I, I, like I'm sure many of you, are tired of this topic. Hopefully, this will be the last time we ever have to talk about it. I'm sure it won't be, though. Uh, the National Anthem and some rulings that went down today at the owners' meetings, I guess a new tactic they're going to take. Uh, I'll hit on that and some thoughts. I've really been in the lion's den, you know, where it all started with Colin Kaepernick in the Bay Area. Odo Beckham Jr., you know, kind of taking a different approach than many guys around the league that are in his situation. The Belichick and Brady thing just won't die. And pretty interesting story on Nick Foles. And, of course, We'll always end this podcast uh, with your questions, and I I got a couple good ones this week, and we do it every week. Go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and in the review section, leave your question, uh, anything NFL-related, anything college football-related, and I will get to it on on the podcast. But let's start with the National Anthem. I I say this all the time, uh, and it's, it's pretty simple, and I think it gets lost in the social media era that we're in and I'm a part of it you're probably a part of it if you're listening to a podcast uh I'm sure you're on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it's just changed the game too often we lose sight of what the NFL's mission statement is 
to me, their mission statement is very simple. And basically, every company in the private sector is the same. It's simple. To make money. In the NFL, also another big part of... uh, the, the, the entire entity in the NFL, winning is not necessarily as important, uh, but in the individual teams, winning and making money are their number one goals. Roger Goodell's number one goal is to make money. And I, I learned this in business school. Many of you that are in sales, uh, own restaurants, work in restaurants, work, work in any field, you know, car dealership, you, you name it. I was told this a long time ago, and I and I do think... It still holds true in 2018. The customer is always right. The NBA should be applauded for this. Not because, as Twitter will tell you, they're very progressive. But they got out of the politics business. They put in their CBA a long time ago. And David Stern is probably putting his feet up. Adam Silver just laughing because they're called these great progressives. They mandated that every player in the NBA stands for the national anthem. They left no room for chance. They put it on paper. They made a strict rule. The NFL, I don't even think, was thinking about it. And really, I don't think anyone around the country was thinking about it until Colin Kaepernick did it. And it became a big issue. Let me say this. Let me preface this whole thing. I don't care. You can do whatever you want. You can kneel. You can do cartwheels around uh, the, the football field if you're a player. You can moon the crowd. I would not give a shit what you did. But people do, especially in certain segments in this country. And a lot of people, and studies have shown, people that watch the NFL tend to be to the middle and to conservative. That's the majority of the NFL fan base. The NFL needed to get out of politics. And part of being involved in politics is this kneeling issue. Now, part of the problem is their solution, kind of similar to what just happened in our country last week with gambling. In gambling, the Supreme Court voted to make it a statewide issue. That is a conservative practice, to make take it away from the federal government and put it within states. The two Supreme Court justices that were adamantly fighting against it were very liberal judges. They did not want the federal government to lose power. So Roger Goodell kind of removed themselves and put it in the team's power. Now, I also think that some teams, like Jed York, has been very progressive. I I don't think he's really going to care. You're going to be able to do whatever you want. If you want to kneel, you want to stand, you want to lie down, whatever. And the fan base in Northern California won't really care. But in Indianapolis... In Dallas, in in some of these cities in the middle, in Green Bay, the fan base is not going to be happy. But I also don't think this is necessarily going to fix the issue. Like, to me, I just would have mandated that everyone stands. Or I would have mandated that no one comes out for the anthem. Because in business, when your number one goal is to make money, you want to remove yourself from these controversies. You just do. Because, obviously, Kaepernick was kneeling. You know, in theory, what he was trying to do was to fight against, you know, criminal injustice. Police uh, crossing the line against minorities in America. Well, it then became, you know, a fight on the military. It just took on a life of its own. And the NFL had to get out of that business. Instead, they, instead of going all the way and getting removing themselves and just saying, you are not, every team, just stay inside the locker room. That's what I would have done. 
just stay inside the locker room. And when the national anthem is over, you come out. That would have been pretty simple. That would have removed yourself. Instead, they kind of half-assed it, mandated that if you do come out, you have to stand, and if you aren't going to stand, stay inside the locker room. Well, I've been around these coaches. I've been on these teams. Teams don't like fracture. You know, if two guys are going to say, you know, I'm not comfortable standing, that means that two guys are going to be in the locker room. So coaches, to me, are just going to have the entire team stay in the locker room. That's what the NFL should have done. They kind of dip their toes in these water because they want to remove themselves. They want people to stop talking about this. They want the president to stop tweeting about this. They want this issue to remove themselves. As Michael Jordan once famously says, said, Republicans buy shoes too. They want everyone to be happy. Instead, now they kind of put it on the owner. Just like in gambling, they put it on the states. Well, some states are going to be more open-minded than other states. You know, uh, New Jersey obviously already passed the law. Mississippi, the law is coming. Alabama is adamant they're not passing the law. Just like I would imagine, back to my example on Jed York, he'll probably say you can do whatever you want. Jerry Jones is not going to say that. Uh, McNair in Houston is not going to say that. Green Bay is not going to allow that. I doubt Ursay is cool with it, just because his fan base won't be. So I, I do think they attempted to do the right thing, because the right thing is to remove yourselves from this. And listen, I stick to sports on Twitter. People, media people get so angry about that. Well, in this issue, th- stick to sports. This is the NFL. Like They're trying to sell their sport. Instead, though, they did not completely remove themselves from it, and I do think that there is going to be an issue come week one uh, when someone doesn't stand and the owner has to find them that it's only going to be worse. So if I could say Roger and to these owners, that let's face it, they're all, most of them are 70-year-olds plus multi-billionaires, a tad bit out of touch, even with younger people that are in the middle and hell, even conservative young people. That Hey guys, you know, you tried, but this is not probably the correct solution. You should have just done like the NBA and kind of the opposite. Just do not have your team come out for the anthem. So while I not commend them, I do understand where they were coming from to try to fix this issue. I do think in the short term, this issue is only going to become a bigger problem. Let's get into my main man, Odell Beckham Jr. I I, got to say something. He's going to get a lot of credit for taking a different approach than a bunch of guys around the league. He's shown up to OTAs and he's working out with the team in hopes to get a new contract. While guys like Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, Zach Martin, for example, also first-rounders in that draft, are not in camp, holding out for uh, what hopes to be massive, massive paydays. All three of those guys I just listed deserve it. They all should be max players right at their position. For Donald and Mack, we're talking quarterback money. Zach Martin should just get an astronomical amount for a guard. Mike Evans... Uh, a wide receiver also in that draft has already been paid. And I think he got about $55 million guaranteed. So I would imagine Odell Beckham, you know, is, is shooting for in the range of 60 to $65 million guaranteed. But I had someone say something to me one time, or may, maybe I overheard it in a room. I, I can't exactly remember where it was said, but I, I remember who said it, and it's always stuck with me. And th- this is talking professionally, not necessarily personally. But in a professional setting, maybe it's a little different if you work in like a family business. But if you're an employee in a corporation, 
which is the equivalent of what all these players are, uh, you know, for their teams. They should take this statement and and apply it to every aspect of their contract negotiations. The only person who cares about you is you. And yesterday in the NFL, there was an ACL injury. Hunter Henry, one of the bright young tight ends in the league. I call still call him the San Diego Chargers. I refuse to call him the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, the San Diego Chargers. He tore his ACL in a OTA at practice. I mean, it's I thought Hunter Henry a couple years ago as a rookie had a chance to be one of the best tight ends in the league. I mean, just an absolute stud. Now his career is just kind of derailed. But he tore his ACL in one of these minicamps, OTAs, whatever, the phase four, whatever you want to call it. And not that he was still on his rookie deal. It's not like he was negotiating a new contract. But the reality is that any moment you go to any of these activities, and especially on the field starting now for the next month, you're doing football-related drills, you're doing football-related activities, you can easily tear your knee. Uh, we've seen J- Jeremy Macklin did it a couple years ago. I-, I remember maybe it was 2012, Michael Crabtree tore his Achilles in an OTA. It is very easy, especially for wide receivers uh, that are cutting, that are planting. It-, it happens. And right now, Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack, and Zach Martin, for example, under zero circumstances should you step foot on the field when you are, I think Le'Veon Bell is also taking the same uh, approach, not showing up to any of these organized team activities. Because the moment you get on the field and you start going full go, you can't go half go. It just it doesn't work that way. Your instincts take over, your body takes over, your muscle memory takes over, and you run around and you set up to block, even though you're not wearing pads. You you try to get open on a maybe a rookie DB. You want to prove something. If you're, you know, Khalil Mack or Aaron Donald, you want to show maybe some young offensive linemen, give them the business, and your instincts take over. And then all of a sudden, the worst-case scenario happens, and you have a major injury. I've been on the other side. I've been in these personnel meetings. Even for the best of the best, the moment your value diminishes, whether that's, let's just say, uh, through an injury, through poor play, uh, through your contract stipulates that I can get rid of you, the team will look to replace you. So back to my original statement. The only person that cares about you is you. Odell Beckham Jr. is trying to show good faith. And in theory, he is doing the right thing by showing up. But the money that he could potentially be leaving on the table, if something catastrophic happens at one of these OTAs, when he's trying to get open on Janoris Jenkins, when he's trying to you know, go deep on Landon Collins, and he tears an Achilles, breaks an ankle. I mean, freak deals happen all the time. Now, you could counter-argue me and say that this could easily happen to Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack working out on their own. That is a fact. You can get hurt anything you do. But what I keep getting back to is if Odell Beckham were to never be the same, he just broke his ankle last year, Him working out this year with the team. If something were to happen, the team would not pay him big money. It's just that simple. They would look to replace him for as great as he is. And let me tell you this. 
I think Odell Beckham Jr., but Antonio Brown, I would have him the number two best receiver in the league. Probably Julio 3. I would rather have, if he was healthy, Odell Beckham Jr. than Julio Jones. That being said, if I was the Giants, I would be not feeling confident and a little uneasy when it came to paying him. I get their side. But I know this. If I'm uneasy about paying him, and right now he's healthy and working out in a 100% fully returned from his injury, if he were to get hurt again, it would make my decision 10 times easier. I just would not pay him. So if I was Odell Beckham Jr., and while I get back to what I said, I do understand showing good faith, showing he's a good teammate, showing he's a good guy, he actually is making a terrible business decision by risking potential injury. When that team, the moment they were giving a sliver of chance to not have to pay him, would do that. So I I commend Le'Veon Bell. Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack 100% are making the right business decisions. And if I was Odell Beckham and I was his camp, I would remove him immediately from practice. Too big of a risk, too much money, and I, I, I just don't see the positives outweighing the negatives. Let's get to uh, what might have been actually the eye-opening story of the week. The Philadelphia Eagles, Howie Roseman, we, we've had their general manager and basically runs the franchise when it comes to player contracts, when it comes to trades. Uh, I've often said uh, I've, I've had a front row seat to Billy Bean the last five or six years out here in the Bay Area and just really growing up in Northern California. Billy's been here forever. Uh, you know, a joke, running joke always around here is, you know, he, he would trade his kid for the right price. And now with the analytical movement throughout all of sports, people like Howie Roseman, Daryl Morey, hell, even some people say that about Danny Ainge, who clearly puts a, a large emphasis in the analytics and in the numbers, Belichick's the same way. Bill Walsh was like this a long time ago. They love value. They will trade anyone at any time if the price is right. And Howie Roseman is basically the Billy Bean of the NFL. He'd trade anyone. They did go on record after the Super Bowl and say that they had zero, and I repeat, zero. Uh, desire to trade Nick Foles regardless of the offer. Then I had Howie Roseman on the podcast, and he reiterated how much he loves Nick Foles and what he means to that organization. I am a California kid. I got to live in Philadelphia for two years, and it was an eye-opening experience how much they loved, obviously, sports, but football. The Philadelphia Eagles mean everything to that city. As you saw with the Philadelphia Sixers run, 76ers run, The 76ers are a very big deal. Back when I lived there, the Phillies were really good. The Flyers, I mean, it is a Boston, New York, and uh, and Philly are, you know, and maybe Chicago, you know, best sports cities for a reason. They take their sports very seriously. But Philly is a football town. They'd never won a Super Bowl until this year. The backup quarterback was the reason that they won the Super Bowl. How many backup quarterbacks around the NFL would have been capable of doing that? And I think the answer is simple, none. Once Jimmy Garoppolo was traded and was no longer a backup in New England, the NFL did not have a backup quarterback capable of doing what Nick Foles just did until Nick Foles really did it. And they went on record, and in an an organization that, let me repeat, is not emotional, will trade anyone and get rid of anyone at any time when the price is not right. They did it with Brian Dawkins. 
Uh, they shipped Donovan McNabb out of there. They, they, they've done it with countless players. But I think they did right by Nick Foles, even though the right football move, the right economical move for the big picture of your franchise would have been, as Mike Silver reported, and we all know Mike's tight with Hugh Jackson, uh, he's tight with Howie, he, he knows he's not making this up, that the Cleveland Browns offered them pick 35 before the draft for Nick Foles. And part of it was the Eagles were going to go to Nick Foles if any opportunities like this presented themselves and ask him what he wanted to do. And I've been told Nick, uh, clearly, I mean, not only have I been told, Nick said it himself. It's pretty clear. Nick loves playing in Philadelphia. He loves being around Carson. He loves the team. He likes being around Doug. He feels very comfortable there. said, no, I do not want to do that. You blame him. I mean, do you want to be the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns and, and Huey Jackson? I wouldn't either. But it would have given him the opportunity to start. And as you as it all played out, he would have been the mentor instead of Tyrod Taylor for uh, for Baker Mayfield. But they didn't do it. The Philadelphia Eagles now, with a 35th pick in the 2018 draft, was Nick Chubb. The Eagles could have used Nick Chubb. He would be, you know, basically the replacement when uh, when Jay Ajayi who's in the last year of his contract and a bad knee, will probably be his last year in Philly, would have been the big picture, long-term starting running back. It it would have been 100% the right football move. But what Nick Foles did to that city, I'm anti-making emotional decisions with players because the history shows you if you consistently make unemotional decisions with football players and, and just with sports in general, like you would in business when you treat a you know, a property like an asset, you have to sometimes treat players like an asset. They're either ascending or descending. And Nick Foles' value, I mean, unless he wins another Super Bowl, you could argue his value wouldn't actually be as high because his contract was still low and he was still under contract, would never have been as high as what it was this offseason. And they didn't do it. But I do give them credit because when your city wins a Super Bowl, for the first time in franchise history in the city that had been so starved, that guy, even though more than likely, I, I think I saw a video I'm recording this on Wednesday, so it must have been, uh, I think it was Tuesday morning, Eagles practice and Carson Wentz looked pretty good moving around. Just again, it was an OTA and it was an individual drill, but as we sit here in you know middle to the end of May, I think it's pretty likely that he's a starting quarterback come week one. That would mean Nick Foles is the backup. Uh, So, of course you trade your backup first. That's a better pick than what ultimately the Patriots got for Jimmy Garoppolo, which was pick 41. Think about that. If I would have told you six months ago, when Jimmy Garoppolo was still on the New England Patriots, and Nick Foles was the backup for Carson Wentz as it looked like he was going to win the MVP, and the irony is Tom Brady ended up winning the MVP, that Nick Foles would could fetch you more than Jimmy Garoppolo in a trade. You would have said, I'm crazy. But he would have. And it shows you that the Browns were a little desperate. And Nick would have been their best starting quarterback in years. Uh, but the Eagles did right by him. Nick Foles probably made the long, the best long-term decision for himself to stay with a stable organization. And it kind of had like, I don't want to say a happier ever after kind of end result here, but it's, it's kind of cool, you know, and if I'm a Philly, if I'm an Eagles fan, I, you know, I'm kind of happy. He, he deserved 
to kind of pick his spot and he wanted to stay with my team. He just won me a Super Bowl. That That's pretty cool. I mean, that's sometimes, you know, we talk about so much stuff with the NFL and football, so many controversial topics. This is just kind of a cool story, and I'm glad the way it played out for Nick. Let's get to Brady and Belichick. You know, the words, nothing lasts forever, feels like it's starting to ring true in New England for the first time, really, in what, 18 years of their marriage since they won their first Super Bowl back in 2001 uh, and beat the, I think at the time, the greatest show on turf. The true greatest show on turf to me really is 99, but then 99, 2000, 2001, the Rams were heavily favored. That that was a big-time upset, and Brady and Belichick have really never looked back. But Brady really became Brady in 07 after Spygate from 07 till this past year where he won the MVP. He has become the greatest quarterback ever over that stretch. Uh, he took his game to the new heights. He started kind of becoming what Peyton Manning was already and took it to a completely different level. He became Tom Brady's superstar over that period of time, it, to me. Brady has always hung his hat on being the greatest teammate ever, basically being the Tim Duncan of the NFL, taking pay cuts, allowing his team you know, to, to sign other players, giving his team flexibility, setting the tone. For the first time ever last year, it, let's face it, everyone uses the marker of Malcolm Butler getting benched in the Super Bowl as the red flag. To me, it was Jimmy Garoppolo. There, I, I don't know all of the details there. I don't know if we ever, ever quite will. I know the conspiracy theorists in me thought it was a little weird. Thought Tom Brady played a part of pushing and forcing Belichick's hand. And then from there, Belichick's natural instincts are to kind of go into FU mode, a little bit of spite, and that fractured their relationship. That Let's face it, it's already probably a little contentious. I mean, Belichick is not the easiest individual to deal with, you know? especially if you're Tom and you know that he kind of needs you. And you also knew that he was planning on replacing you. And listen, I I side with Belichick on this. The big picture move would have been replacing Tom Brady with Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is 25, 26, Tom's 41. I know TB12 and the uh, pliability. My mom bought me his book. It's pretty crazy. Avocado ice cream. It's not going to last forever. His wife has gone on record. She wants him to stop playing football. It could end as soon as next year, in two years, whatever. I know he won the MVP. I love Tom Brady. He's in the John Middlecoff pyramid of great football players. He's number one. But I'm siding with Bill Belichick if I'm Robert Kraft on this one, even though it, it always felt with the Jimmy Garoppolo situation that Robert Kraft was siding with Tom Brady. And then the Malcolm Butler thing clearly kind of fractured Tom Brady. And now Tom Brady's kind of in FU mode, in kind of spiteful mode. And I I do think it's just pretty wild. If you look at sports, Montana and Walsh, let's just start there. They lasted for, I think, eight years. For eight years. Think about that. For eight years. Eight. Actually, it might have been a little longer. Nine. He was drafted in 79. Walsh retired in 88. Think about that. Not, Not 18. Let's go Jordan and Phil Jackson. That did not last that long. By the end, Phil was not coming back in 98 and Jordan left. And there was a period of time where Jordan left in the middle of their run. Hell, Kobe and Phil, they butted heads. 
You look at Peyton Manning had multiple coaches throughout the run. Typically, in these situations with these all-time great superstars, LeBron James left Cleveland, went to Pat Riley, who's kind of a Belichickian type figure, only lasted four years with him. And at the end, you read some of these articles, it was he was tired of Pat Riley telling him what he had to do. That lasted four years, LeBron and Pat Riley. Four. The Belichick and Brady have lasted 18 and is going into 19 is honestly one of the great sports accomplishments and it might be the greatest in American uh, ego history. Think about the egos of those two guys, the superstardom of those two guys to last that long, to be that productive. And I'll promise you this. While I don't know if it's a big deal that Brady misses this entire offseason, it is something. But there is no tandem, no duo in American sporting history definitely in my life watching sports that I would bet on to be able to circumvent the noise, block it all out, and kick ass come week one through week 17 through the playoffs. Now, will they win the Super Bowl or not? I don't know. But I'll promise you this. Belichick Brady, come the fall, come training camp, no two people, I would feel more comfortable betting money on to be successful to get to the playoffs, than to have success in the playoffs. Why? Because that's what they do. Now, is their relationship perfect? Hell no. Clearly, they got issues. But there are no two people that have proven the ability to work through distractions, to work through problems, to work through turnover, to work through injuries. They overcome it all. That's all they do. I think the Navy SEALs, I may be getting this wrong, it may be like the the Marine, who I don't know exactly what branch of the military this comes from. I'm pretty sure it's the SEALs. It's adapt and overcome. That's basically the Patriots mantra, adapt and overcome. Obviously, it starts with do your job and then adapt or overcome. Zero excuses. Just get the freaking W. And that is all Brady and Belichick do. So whether their hate is now at a place where they will never like each other again moving forward. Let's just assume that's where we're at in their relationship. You see this sometimes in divorces, like, you know, they kind of hate each other, and then by the end, they just can't stand each other, and then the hate is so strong, they can't even be in the same room with each other. Let's just say, in hypothetically, that's the case. These two guys will adapt and overcome. They will figure out a way. Come week one, come week five, come week eight, come the playoffs, those two will be ready. Belichick will have a game plan for the opponent. Tom Brady will have a game plan for the the offense going against whatever the defense is, and they will be ready to kick ass, come kick off at, at 10 a.m., 1 p.m., Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football, whenever the hell they're playing. So clearly this is something. Clearly there's a major fracture. I, that's not even deniable anymore. My theory is it definitely started with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now there might have been stuff before then that I don't know much about, but the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, th- th- there isn't just smoke there. Th- there's a wildfire. And the Malcolm Butler thing, while I do think it's independent of Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that might have been the tipping point for Tom Brady, where he's just, I've had enough of this guy. This guy is no longer going to boss me around. I, I'm just, I can't deal with it. I'll just go through Robert Kraft. I will avoid Belichick. Now, that, that would not be a sustainable model, big picture, long term, but these two are living week to week, day to day, year to year, trying to win, trying to win rings. So I would bet on them being able to overcome it and still be very productive 
and potentially win it all this year. Now, would it be like, clearly there is a light at the end of this tunnel. It is coming to an end. And it may end pretty ugly. Like, they may have one of those moments. Remember Shaq and Kobe when they played the Detroit Pistons and they just got their ass kicked. And it was just over. Like, that may be it for uh, Belichick and Brady this year. Like, in the first round of the playoffs or, you know, at the first round. They, they don't play the first round. They skip it because they're usually the one or two seed and they host a game. Maybe they get beaten that round and that's just it. Brady retires, whatever. But I, I do know that this team will be ready and... It is kind of sad when you think about it that we are coming down the home stretch of, of Belichick and Brady, the greatest duo in American sporting history. Okay, we're going to get to what I, what I really view as my, my favorite time of the week. Uh, we named it last week the Middlecoff Mailbag. Every week, uh, I will get to your questions. And where I find your questions are in the review sections of iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and in the review section, leave a question. You leave a question, I will answer it in this podcast. Okay, let's start out with uh, Shepard Commander, new listener. Uh, Grateful to Coward for showcasing this guy. Appreciate that. Uh, Question. People keep saying that the Bucs had a great offseason. While I think it was good, I do not share the same unbridled optimism. How do you think the additions and subtractions, will pan out as a whole. I went and looked this morning, after I saw this question, and saw that Tampa Bay was 30th in the NFL. And that's a bad thing. So they're basically third to last in the league. They gave up 17 rushing touchdowns. They also, I think, were 24th in the league in yards per attempt on the ground at 4.3 yards per attempt. This year, they added JPP. They obviously, in the draft, added Vita Vea and Vinnie Curry. Their defensive line was not good enough. In a division against Cam Newton, against, uh, obviously, Drew Brees, and a guy that won the MVP two years ago and just got a lot of money in Matt Ryan, that you have to be good up front. Your defensive line has to be solid. And theirs was not. It was not good enough. They added three legitimate players. JPP, they didn't have to trade much. I think it was like a conditional third for a guy that's still really good. Is he a great player? No, but he is much better than anything they had. Vita Vea is a big, big body inside to go next to Gerald McCoy. And Vinny Curry is a great rotational defensive lineman that you can win Super Bowls with. So to me, they've added so much help in an area they so desperately needed up front on their defensive line. I I like them to begin with. Mike Evans, who's a stud. Jameis, who kind of needs to kind of figure it all out. This is a big year for him. O.J. Howard, that should take a big step. Adding Ronald Jones should be huge. Uh, I, I, I think they're going to be good. I, I think they are easily a sleeper playoff team. Obviously, a lot depends on their coach. And in the NFL, Dirk Cutter is not good, and he might not be. So I, I preface it all by saying they have the roster to make the playoffs. I feel confidently in saying that. Do they have the coach to make the playoffs? I don't know. But Jason Light, the general manager, uh, I, I think has done a, a very, very good job this offseason, and I am bullish. Again, if, if the coach can just be solid, you don't have to be a great coach to make the playoffs. Jack Del Rio, two years ago, made the playoffs with the Raiders. Why? Because the Raiders had a playoff roster. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a playoff roster. 
Can their coach just be solid? Because if he's solid, the, the, the Bucs will make the playoffs. Let's get to uh, Dane M. Do the grades that players are assigned allow teams to rank players of different position types in one list, 1 through 224? Or is there some other relative ranking logic that helps the team know how the best available player is? That's a great question. In my experience, uh, you basically rank it per position. And then some teams do like a top 50 list where you just kind of go around the draft room after you've ranked your draft board and rank it just 1 through 50. But I don't think, at least to my knowledge of scouts around the league and GMs, that they have a list of just 1 through 224, and that would be the draft picks, where they have it just listed you know, regardless of position. Now, I do think a lot of teams value certain positions more than others. Obviously, quarterbacks in his own little world. But then you teams, if if an offensive tackle is graded as the same as an offensive guard and a running back, you're going to take the offensive tackle. If the offensive tackle is graded the same as a corner, then I think you can have legitimate conversations. If a defensive end is graded the same as a safety, you're going to take the defensive end. And I, I just think this is... There is no perfect science for this. This is actually a great question. This is why you have GMs and college scouting directors because you get in that position where you have the same grade on the same on on multiple different players, and it's where you have conversations in the room. And this is why you spend basically nine months getting ready for the draft. You're constantly talking about this. What if in the second round we have player X and player Y up there? One guy is a star running back, and the other guy is a star safety. Which one do we take? And it's why best player available is easily said. It's not easily executed. Because you may think that a running back is a little bit more valuable, let's say, than a guard. But what if your team needs a guard more than the running back? It's why teams kind of sometimes lean with a need. Uh, I, I know the Patriot system, just from what I've heard, always does it relative to their own team. So is this guy better than our starting slot receiver? Is this guy better than our starting middle linebacker? And that's how they work. I think every team is a little different. And at the end of the day, for the most part, quarterback, again, in his own world, the next three or four positions are pretty uh, straightforward. And what's the most important? Probably number two is always going to be pass rusher, a defensive end, an outside linebacker, or just a star, star inside pass rusher like J.J. Watt was or Aaron Donald. Uh those guys will always probably be number two. I think the the importance of corners has have definitely moved up. Uh, the importance you know of wide receivers in a in a passing league have taken on a much increased value. But I, I don't think it's black and white. It's why when teams say we'll just lean bl- best player available, well, what if four guys have the same grade? And that often is the case. It's why you have healthy discussions. It's why you know uh, disagreement is healthy. It's also why you spend so much time in draft meetings to get to situations to go, what happens if this happens? And you basically laid out every scenario. So I would imagine there are teams that I don't know about that that rank, you know, I I don't know about 220, but maybe top one to 150, just rank in straight order. So if this guy's available, this is who we'll take. But I think more players or more teams just rely on their room, their GM, their personnel directors, their head coach, to just talk out the situations and be pragmatic about it and you know, ultimately rely on their instincts. Because ultimately, I would say the best drafters obviously do the most work 
and have prepared for situations, but just have good instincts when it comes to pulling the trigger on a player. Let's get to this question. Uh, Glenn T. Uh, It's a pretty long question. Basically, the gist of it is, the gist of it, just of it, Nate Solder at left tackle, who Colin has called an elite tackle. Solder obviously signed with the Giants. Colin thinks that the Giants have largely solved their O-line problems to keep Eli protected. However, what Collins seems to ignore is that for two seasons, Dante Scarnecchia, the longtime offensive line coach for the New England Patriots, he was also a roommate of my uncle uh, in junior college way back in the day, uh, who retired, but then he came back, has been anchored by Solder, who was below average, and then Scarnecchia coached him up. What's your take on if he's a good or average left tackle? Uh, is he elite or not? I mean, <laughs> is Joe Flacco elite? Is Nate Solder elite? Is this the key for the Giants' offensive line? I think Nate Solder is a solid starting left tackle. Is he an elite left tackle? No. To me, there's only two or three elite tackles. Uh, Tyron Smith, Trent Williams of Washington. You know, off the top of my head, maybe I'm missing one. That that might be it. Whitworth used to be. I don't know if he's quite that guy. I don't know if Staley was ever quite elite, but he was damn good. I mean, he's better than Solder. Solder's a solid starter. And solid players, solid players, when they hit the open market, get paid much closer to as an elite player. That does not mean you're an elite player. Just because you get paid more money as a player, and I think this was the same for any employee, does not mean you're any better as an employee. You're just more highly paid. Especially when your value as a productive salesman or a productive left tackle is already established. Like Nate Solder is not improving. He is what he is, which is a solid left tackle. And I think when you look at the New York Giants, who have been desperate for offensive linemen, who have been desperate for tackles, that he is a massive improvement. But I also think it shows you that the Patriots, for the most part, have really had offensive linemen overachieve. I would say the only one in recent memory, the last 12, 15 years, that really didn't was Logan Mankins. He would have been an elite player anywhere. Uh, he was an elite elite college prospect, might be strong, because he went pick 32. But he was a, a consistent pro bowler, and he would have been that with the Cleveland Browns, with the San Diego Chargers, with the New England. It wouldn't have mattered where he played. Nate Solder, probably a little more team-specific to get his career going. Uh, but now I think he has established he should be able to be a plug-and-play starter immediately. So does he change the Giants? I think he does just because their left tackle and just their tackles in general have been somewhat of a turnstile the last several years. Eli has been uh, been receiving way too many look out blocks from his offensive lineman. Look out blocks are not good. <laughs> they need people to block up front. So their offensive lineman, I think they also drafted Will Hernandez in the second round, is vastly improved. Would I like to give him that much money? Probably not. I also have nothing but faith. Uh, the Patriots drafted win in the first round from Georgia. That Dante Scarnecchia will coach him up, and he'll be damn good. He'll be ready to go week one. Uh, so I, I, I think it's a win-win. It's a classic Belichick. He's never going to overpay for his own guy. Uh, that he doesn't think is worth that money. And the Giants, who were desperate, uh, ha- had to do it. So I, I, I like the move. Again, I appreciate everyone listening. Leave your questions in iTunes, subscribe rate, and in the review section, leave a question, and I will get to them next podcast. Thanks, everyone. 
uh, here every week, every Wednesday throughout the offseason. We'll keep on churning them out. Stories will keep on coming, and I'll keep on firing my takes, uh, making three and out a place where you guys know you're going to get some good stuff. Uh, Again, I appreciate everyone listening to John Middlecoff on the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want like trying out that new workout class and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.